Nice to see you. <laughs> you too. Yeah. I love that background. That's amazing. What is that? Isn't that fun? So that's one of our art spacesuits from the Space for Art Foundation, that um, which is where I'm trying to focus most of, most of my attention these days. Um, but this one is called Exploration, and it's created from artwork from kids in hospitals, refugee centers in, I think, 52 countries. What? And, yeah, yeah. And, and then we've all, had... They it all around? Pardon me? They just sent it all around? Uh, no, we had the fabric pieces oh. that we, and we did a lot of um, uh, sessions in person, you know, back when you can travel, we, we went to a number of different countries and painted with the kids there. And then where we could, where we couldn't be in person, we had people there that facilitated for us. And in some of those places, it would be like, you know, for instance, um, I don't know, what was one of the places where we did this? Uh, South Korea. You wow. know, there's a South Korean astronaut um, named Soyeon, and she was in country at the time. She lives in the U.S. now, but she was in country at the time. And so she went to the, one of the local hospitals and engaged with the kids there and sent back. Actually, I think, yeah, there's the South Korean piece right there. You can oh, see, yeah. See, see it. And so it's all the original artwork on canvas. And then our spacesuit company that makes our real spacesuits, ILC Dover, they've been volunteering with us since the very beginning, they quilted all together into the patterns of like a real spacesuit. And several of these have actually flown to the space station and the kids get to see, you know, an astronaut if they're wearing it and floating around in it. And, um, That's amazing. you know, with the artwork from kids, all, you know, all around the world. And um, this one, unfortunately, was built in a way that it couldn't be packed up small enough to send to space. But and of course, we can never promise that anything will get sent to space because that's just kind of a miracle to have that happen. And so we've been very thankful when it has. Yeah. But um, a couple of them have. We've got some videos on our website you can go check out. And, awesome. Uh, what website is that? Uh, Spaceforartfoundation.org. And you're, kind of, you're involved in that? Uh, like, yeah. Is that your thing? Yeah, yeah. It's I'm one of the co-founders, and uh, one of the other gentlemen, Ian Sion. He's he's a guy who incredible artist. And he, uh, when we were living in Houston, uh, he had started the art and medicine program at MD Anderson uh, Pediatric Cancer Center there. And so the first suit we did was just with kids that he was working with in that one hospital, and that grew to what we're doing now with the suits around the world. And so he's one of the co-founders. There's um, one of the like key people at ILC Dover, um, Dave Graciosi. He's been with us since the beginning. Houston-based is one of our co-founders. And then Lolly Lanis, who lives up in the D.C. area. We're all kind of spread out now, but lives in the D.C. area. Um, we met through another project, and then she's been on board ever since. So um, kind of cool. We've got partners in Russia and folks helping us all around the world. So. I mean, the thing looks really awesome. I mean, it is incredible. I mean, they, the like, I look at like the, the view here and I'm like, man, it just doesn't do it justice. Yeah. Um, you know, I can, there, can I reach it? Yes, there it is. Yeah. But it's, um, tangible. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. And check out the other suits. They all have a little bit of a different patterning to them. And, you know, of course, all the kids' artwork is different. And it's really neat because, you know, we talked to him about like the theme of the suit, like exploration and imagine yourself, you know, exploring off the planet and bringing all the work you're doing back to Earth and how are your crewmate and all this stuff. 
and then we'll get a picture, a painting of a bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> or we'll get a painting of their dog or something. But I think it's just, you know, it's just letting them, you know, they might be thinking about what we've talked about, but they're painting something else. I mean, you yeah. know. Well, maybe you put, bike, the, you put the machine down on the paint and you, you get what you're, you know, there for that day, not, <laughs> not what somebody else is telling you they want you to paint, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah I mean, um, it's great to actually finally talk to you again. I mean, I, I remember I know. So, a, a little introduction of who, who Nicole is. Um, yeah, sorry, I just got her friend <laughs> <laughs> yeah, So Nicole yeah. is an astronaut um, and has been to space and you were on the space station, if I remember correctly. Um, is that is that right? Yeah. Um, do you want to maybe just give a, a description of, of a little bit of who you are and what you're doing? Obviously, I know the Art Foundation, but I know you probably have other things you're working on as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, I retired from NASA back probably um, right before I had I met you. So um, in in the middle of 2015, so I can't believe it's been that long. And I had worked for NASA for about 28 years. First as an engineer um, working at the Kennedy Space Center, and then. Uh, later as an astronaut uh, in Houston and had the opportunity to fly twice, <clears throat> excuse me, both times to the space station, once for what we call a long duration mission. So for a little over three months on board. And then second flight was the final flight of the space shuttle discovery. And we went to the space station, but we were only there for two weeks, which I always tell people like, I can't complain about only being in space for two weeks on that yeah. mission, but holy <laughs> moly. I mean, they had to pull my clawing hands off the hatch to get me oh, back I'm in sure. shuttle to come home because it's such an incredible place. And of course, you never know if you're going to get to go back and, uh, you know, all that. And you never get done what you want to do while you're there, um, yeah. at least on a personal side. But oh, sure. Yeah. And then retired. And I had I had, had the chance to paint while I was in space. So when I was retiring and trying to figure out, you know, at least retiring from NASA, I do not consider myself retired. Um, <laughs> still cranking, cranking away. But yeah. uh, I was trying to figure out, you know, what's a kind of a meaningful, unusual way to share the experience, you know, both from what I did while I was in space, but how that all really does value benefit us here on Earth and how we should be living like crewmates. And I just kept coming back to the art. Yeah. And you know, started pursuing that on my own and then met Ian and, you know, it's been Space for Art Foundation stuff ever since. And then on top of that, I just finished a book, finished no writing way. a book. So that's out for pre-order now. It's called Back to Earth and it'll be out on the shelves in October. But um, Amazing. I didn't know you were yeah. even working on that. That's busy, awesome. Busy tough, busy times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's why it kind of fascinated me. Obviously we were sitting there looking at art. We met in uh, Saratoga Springs. Is yeah. That so nice. So and beautiful we were there. talking about some, some <laughs> art that I had on the wall and I explained to you my process and, you know, trying to impress you. And then you're like, and I ask you what you do and you say, oh, I'm an astronaut or I just retired from NASA. And I'm like, um, but anyway. No, it's uh, cool. Okay. It's all relative. I have to tell you, it, it is all relative. It yeah. is for sure. But I mean, and then you told me that you, you had painted in space and, um, and then just all these questions started arising and then you started answering them before I could even ask them about like, how does the paint stick to the canvas and how does it not just fly off the canvas? And um, so anyway, I, I thought of you because I started this podcast called Artist of Life and um, you, the Wikipedia version of that essentially is as well. So um, I love that you even thought to, to paint in space and um, I kind of wanted to highlight that a little bit. And then like you said, bringing that art back to earth, if you will, um, which sounds like you wrote a book about it, which seems awesome. Yeah. Uh, but so, yeah, I guess 
what that experience of like, what made you think to paint in space and um, what was that experience like, like what to you, you know, like, well, I mean, for me, it was definitely a personal highlight for sure right. of, of the flight. And I'd like to say that I had the brain cells before flight to be the one that really said, Ooh, Nicole, you should take a paint kit with you and paint while you're in space. And won't that be fun? You enjoy doing that down here on earth. And yeah. It was not me at all. I am so thankful to, you know, as we're preparing to go to space, we have these people that are supporting us. They're helping us do everything, put our checklists for all the technical stuff together, you know, remind us about, you know, just the timeline of everything. And then I literally helping us pack right. to go to space. And that's everything from the stuff that NASA is supplying us. You know, here's your three, three, three t-shirts for the whole mission and your one pair of pants and your, you know, yeah. whatever toothbrush. Um, to uh, you know, reminding us to consider the fact that we're going to be living there, you know, especially on the space station where it's months at a time. Yeah. And my friend, Mary Jane Anderson, who was one of my crew support people, she was just like, Nicole, you know, you really should think about bringing something with you that you enjoy doing down here on earth. You know, it's got to be little and, you know, can't be toxic to anybody else but you know if it passes those tests um you know take it and enjoy it and i'm so thankful she did and you know for me it was this tiny little paint kit which i'll just say i wish you know here again the brain cells i would have had them to say bring that home with you yeah yeah <laughs> instead i left it up there you know with, with a note on it like oh in case anybody else wants to paint while they're here here's the paint kit um and now they can't find it but um, it was, it was such, uh, I don't know, just such a human thing, like putting the human in human space flight. Right. Right. And, and it's becoming more about living there now. Right. And, uh, in addition to working there and home, I just think it was, it was incredible. I mean, and everything about it was a little bit different than what you would expect it to be down here on earth. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, it's, yeah rather ironic that uh mary jane sparked the idea of uh yeah painting space <laughs> like yeah that. you know and and to me you know everybody's like oh you know um first watercolor in space first painting i'm like i don't know that wasn't even thinking about that i didn't even literally right. think about painting in space before yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then it was it was really cool because completely independent of um taking the watercolor kit myself I think even before that, I had taken um, with me or collected this paintbrush from a friend of mine um, to take with me, just kind of as a you know special thing to take there for him, bring it back, and uh, and then I got to paint with it too. Oh, um, awesome. And this is a guy who, you know, an incredible artist. I encourage you to look him up. His name is Ron Woods. Um, Ron Woods. Yeah, not the not the um, Mick Jagger friend, um, but the, uh, um, the incredible space engineer, flight crew guy who suited up uh, Buzz Aldrin and Mike Collins and Neil Armstrong to go walk on the moon. In addition to other, you know, Apollo astronauts along the way and help design and work on all those spacesuits and and his art is inspired by all of that. But I got to take up this paintbrush of his that was like the one of the first ones he had painted with. So. Oh, that's awesome. That was cool. So, so when you're putting the, the paint onto, you were doing oil or uh, watercolor or what were you yeah, doing? Watercolors, you, yeah, watercolors. All watercolor. 
That's yeah. the trickiest one. It's like the least uh, gelatinous material to put onto canvas. Yeah, but you know, in hindsight, again, it was a wise move. Um, for me, I think when I was, after Mary and Jane encouraged me, I was just looking for what's the simplest thing for me to take, you know, to pack the least amount of stuff I have to take. And it really was one of those, um, I forget the maker, but, you know, little plastic flip open things with the little cubes, you yeah. know, the little cubes. It starts with a G, Grumacher or something like that. I can never say the name. Yeah. Anyway. And so that was like the most compact, These, you know, aside from like the kindergarten version of it that, you know, <laughs> that kids would be using, which I, I probably could have gotten away with that too. But, um, but it also least toxic, you know, I could, could find there was nothing, you know, in it that if it got into the air of the space station that we wouldn't be able to clean out. And now, you know, there are some acrylic paints that that would be, would have worked too, because we had to get the paints that we use these suits approved because you got this off gassing, you know, the scent of it or whatever. So oils right. definitely wouldn't have been allowed. But then just lift off the yeah. material. Yeah. And, and just, yeah, you don't want anything stinky up there either. And, right. but the watercolors worked great and, easy to clean up. I mean, I literally could just, and just that's the same as down here, you know, you a little ball of water, stick it in there, mush it with a, a paper towel and you could go to the next color. Um, whereas acrylics, even, I think I would have had to, you know, have multiple brushes and, you know, just, it would have been messy right. um, to, to use. Um, now saying that, one of one of my friends who had flown before me, uh, Richard Garriott, he flew as a, a tourist, um, call a spaceflight per participant to the station and was there for, I don't know, 10, 12 days. And he brought up acrylic paints and actually built like a plastic box and stuck paper, you know, the paper up all around the box and then just squirted the paints into the, the box and yeah. just let it see what microgravity would do, how it would splatter onto the you know, onto the paper. And, and that turned out very cool really? as, as well. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, the watercolor process was interesting. So when you're, when you're loading a brush, let's say, and you, you mix the water, you have to do that in like, are you doing that out in your regular atmosphere? Yeah. I just, you know, we can't fill a cup of water to dip your brush in because there's right. no cups of water to drink or dip your brush in. And, so um, we have these, these drink bags. They look a little bit like they're kind of a metallic bag that we put water in or, you know, other beverages. <clears throat> and um, so I just use one of my drink bags. It's got a little straw on the top, squirt out a ball of water. And then the ball of water is floating, which is kind of cool to watch. Oh, look at this floating ball of water. And then take the brush, you know, to dip it into the ball of water, which was tiny, you know, a little ball of water. Uh, and it was so cool because I thought, oh, I'll, you know, I'll dip it into the ball of water and it'll, you know, then stick on the brush. But it was like right before I would get the tip of the brush to the ball of water, it's like the ball of water wanted to move onto the end of the brush. And I don't know if that was some mysterious magnetic, you know, uh, attraction thing or, you know, otherwise, or if it was just surface tension is different for sure up there or what, but it would do that. And then the same thing happened as I, you know, take the little floating ball of water down to the paints right before getting it to the, to the paint. It's like the paint wanted the water. And then the same thing with the colored water going back to the brush. It was just such a cool process to watch. And I wish, 
I guess I'm talking a lot about not having brain cells today. I wish I would have thought to videotape the whole thing. I think, yeah, um, totally. You know, because I think it would have been such a great way to not just show how to paint in space with watercolors, but just to explain the whole kind of dynamic of living and working in space where everything floats and everything, everything is just a little bit different. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I imagine that must have been interesting like, because it's, I mean, on Earth, we have so many different factors that we deal with as, as, a, as a, even if you're just painting a fence, let's say, yeah. you know, you just, it's like the, you're, you get the paint and you try to like, you know, slap as much on the, on the fence as you can, make it even, but yeah. I assume that all the laws of gravity and physics are <laughs> different uh, once you're up there. So it's, I don't know, it was, I remember being just very fascinated. I think you showed me a picture, you do have a picture of the painting, right? Yeah, I have the re I do have the real painting here now. It was at the Smithsonian Air and Space for a while, um, Come on. but they're remodeling, so they didn't want to. They didn't want to have it while they were going through their remodel. But that that thing back there, that white framed. I don't. I'm always it's the opposite direction. Um, you know, blue painting back there is is a a print of it. Can, we, can I see the print? Real it's quick? just here. Let's see. Hang on a second. So cool. It's just a, yeah, it's just a print of it. And, you know, I, I, I probably should have used the kids paint kit because it, it is very childish, <laughs> childish looking, you know, but it's, um, it's just based on this picture I took of a little chain of islands on the northern coast of Venezuela called Las Rocas which to me, I mean, I remember looking at it out the window and it's like, man, it looked like somebody had taken like the ginormous paintbrush and painted a wave on yeah. the ocean. And, um, and I just loved it. And um, so, you know, that's been the inspiration. It was, you know, for this, but also for some other art that I've done. And, um, but again, like painting, it wasn't, you couldn't, if I touched the brush to the paper, that whole blob of colored water would just go into the into the paper, and so, so it was like still absorbed. Well, it was it was to paint was more like dragging the ball of water along the paper right. versus using the brush. Yeah, and um, and that that was a lot of trial and error. So some of it does look like blobs of. <laughs> so you like stuff it. And you know, oops, sorry, that too much touched it. And, yeah. um, you know, so you ha definitely, I think over time would just develop a totally new technique for, you know, for how you would paint in space. Sure. I'm going to lean over and let my dog out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or dogs. Um, but you probably didn't, yeah. have, I, mean, I don't know, but did you have the foresight that it would lead into this now exploration of like bringing art back to earth and this project to bring the space suit to space with art on it and so on? I mean, how, it's kind of funny. Like the, no, the absolutely is none. The, the space is like the perfect canvas. It's all blank white, ready for design. It's yeah. like the last thing we haven't designed. Yeah. And, we'll you know, and every right. astronaut who sees these suits is like, why can't my suit look like that? You know, why does it have to be just white with little <laughs> red stripes on it or something? You know, it should it be like designer. that. You know, um, and there are reasons why they're not. But, uh, you know, but why couldn't we customize them in some way, you know, beyond our mission patch and stuff? Why, right. why couldn't we have some stripe or something on there that we've, we've painted ourselves? Um, but no, there was no, there was no strategy in it at all, other than Mary Jane saying, you might enjoy doing this in space too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, and yeah, it was a little, I mean, there was a little bit of an evolution of coming to that, you know, that conclusion of just even using art as my way to 
talk about spaceflight and then, you know, evolving to the, the Space for Art Foundation work as well. Right. Yeah, no, that's that's so interesting. I had no idea you've been working all those on all those aspects. And as far as your book, does it kind of correlate with what that what that is as well? Or is it just like, is it just your experience coming back to Earth? Well, I think overall, in the grand scheme of things, it does. It's not a memoir in any way. Um, it's more, but there are there's stories of the spaceflight experience. You know, some of my you know growing up stuff that just makes sense along the way with it. But it's more uh, the story of how I don't just the way we have been able to live and work together as this international partnership. You know, right. fifteen countries for over twenty years you know, five international space agencies on the International Space Station, you know, continuous human presence in space that long. And then with the support of tens of thousands of people across those countries down here on Earth and um, how we've built this mechanical life support system in space um, to be able to do that. Um, you know, it has been peaceful and successful. We've got this greater good mission of the science being about exploration, but ultimately about improving life on Earth. Uh, while we're living there, you know, every day we're, you know, acutely aware of how much CO2 is in our atmosphere, how much clean drinking water we have, the integrity of our thin metal hull, and all of that perfectly parallels, you know, how we should be living and working as crewmates down here on Spaceship Earth. And I think it's really just kind of, of sharing that, you know, analog, I guess, in a way that helps people, you know, first of all, realize, holy moly, you live on a planet in space right yeah <laughs> you know and you know we're all earthlings um you know thin blue line being the only border that matters and how do we take those you know that common ground kind of stuff and come together as crew and you know and really start acting like the crew here versus you know passengers and that's yeah a so that's 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 really what it's about and i use climate change as kind of the challenge that, you know, you could look at to, um, you know, that we could be working on as, uh, you know, through this, this whole model of the way we live and work in space. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's a, that's a fascinating um, comparison in just life, people being passengers in life. Yeah. Uh, and not, and I, I assume the com camaraderie up there is, uh, it has to be impeccable. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's awesome. That, yeah. It's really, really awesome. And I just think it, you know, I know it's like seven people living on a space station versus seven plus billion, you know, down here on Earth. But, you know, these these orders of magnitude, these scale kinds of things, that's just and I know I'm oversimplifying, but that's what it's all about. I mean, it's yeah. just like, let's just extend the same way of being to, you know, our life on a planet. And that's, you know, even in the, the space for our foundation, when we're working with the kids, you know, our, our tagline is that we're uniting a planetary community of children through the awe and wonder of space exploration and the healing power of art. And embedded in that is, you know, talking to them, communicating with them about, you know, who and where they are, we are all together in space and, yeah. you know, how we need to live like crew, how the art from these other kids that are coming together in the suit, you know, they're living and experiencing some of the same things that you are. And, you know, that common ground of planet earthling thin blue line and, yeah. and they get it, you know, and you want them to get it when they're young, right. And totally. just keep it, you know, figure out how to keep it in the front of your brain. Yeah. As you get older. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's so important actually that, that, that message alone is, is pretty astonishing because 
I think it, it really does correlate with how people do live and um, to have that kind of cross comparison of, of having that camaraderie is, is what I find to be ultimately true too. It's like you talk to a lot of people and they kind of have the core unit, but to branch that out so broad, I think from the, that, that core dynamic, it's funny because in space exploration, that's maybe in on planet Earth, that may be the one common denominator where we do all get along with so many different it's, oh, it's so amazing, isn't it? Like today, there was a launch um, from Kennedy Space Center, uh, was on one of the new SpaceX Dragon um, vehicles. Oh, I saw, I saw you posted. Yeah, incredible. You know, um, a week or two ago, and, and on this mission today, there were two US crewmates, one Japanese and one European who are going up to be part of the, the station crew. And then a week or so ago, uh, a Soyuz from Kazakhstan and Russia, you know, or Kazakhstan launched with uh, on this Russian vehicle with two Russian cosmonauts and a US crew member all going to the same place, all to become part of the same crew, yeah. you know, to live and work up there. And yeah, it's amazing how, how is it we can do that with this space exploration model Right. And, you know, every day you're, you know, every day up there, we're not just worried about the CO2 and, and the clean drinking water. We're worried about the health and well-being of our, our crewmates yeah. as well. And it's just, I mean, it, it's just so simple. Yeah. <laughs> Yet I really think, you know, like hugely powerful. And I think because of the way we are, you know, working together as these countries in space and continuing to push forward with that as an, you know, as an international partnership, you know, a lot of the stuff that even right now doesn't seem so good that's going on between some of these countries, I think is tempered, you know, is really, you know, tamped down a little bit because we have that relationship and that experience together that, yeah. you know, where we know we can get along and, yeah, people, yeah. Maybe, people are maybe not so inclined when we don't want to digress where we've like gained so much ground. It's, it, it's so yeah, yeah. So there is not a single partner in that in that relationship that's like, okay, next time we fly in space, we don't want to be with you. It's it really is. How do we build it out even more? And I, I think that's so. I don't know. I think that's so inspirational too. I mean, it's really a lot of what gives me hope yeah. <laughs> in things, and that. Um, you know, what we've done, like you just said, everything about what I just said about what I'm presenting in the book or what we're doing with the foundation, it's, it doesn't matter if you're in space doing that. It's about how you and I should be getting yeah. along too, right? And, and, and to like kind of lift ourselves up to, um, you know, look at things in a positive way. I mean, we don't go to the moon by saying, oh, here's all the reasons why we can't do that. Right. You know, can't do it that way. I mean, the motto that I love that I learned very early on as an engineer with NASA from one of my very favorite people, Jay Honeycutt, was, you know, here's how we can, not why we can't. Yeah. And I'm like, holy moly, that doesn't work only in space. That works with the lawyer guy I got to talk to about whatever contract I'm working on or the plumber yep. that's coming to my house or totally. my family even, <laughs> you know. Totally. <laughs> and and I think it's about believing there's a solution to every challenging problem. Like going in with that attitude is, I don't know, it's um, empowering, you know, to, to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much the only attitude you can have when you're trying yeah, to. Yeah, you face. gotta. <laughs> you <know? laughs> um, it's not that there's not stuff going on that could bring you down. I, I mean, absolutely, but um, yeah. 
we got to kind of look at it. It's all about perspectives too, right? Looking at things from, you know, different perspectives and allowing ourselves to be open to that. Yeah. And I think that's speaking of perspectives. I mean, it's like, you know, you kind of myself as like a, a person of earth. I find myself often like when I go to a new area, let's say, uh, I always want to get up somewhere high. I want to like be able to get like a vantage point. I, it's, um, and it feels like it's something that's like, just like instilled in me. Like some people like to be close to the water. Some people like to be in the mountains and they kind of separate mm-hmm. themselves. But I just always find like t- I myself inclined to try to get up somewhere high. That just, it helps me like kind of just keep perspective. And sometimes I feel, even if you live in a place for a long time, that like, we have such, you know, air, air travel, for example, is so yeah. prominent that we don't think about it. But just sometimes when you get up, the second the wheels leave the runway and you're going to like wherever you're going, you're like, you start thinking differently. It is just like, it's like, it's almost like a drug. It's just, you just all of a sudden are like, ah, now I could have been more compassionate in that one moment or you, know, you, right. you may not have even thought of that thing, let's say, or whatever it is. Right. But I feel like, you know, do you feel something altered within you when you exited the atmosphere and you're sitting outside earth? I mean, do you, did you look back and go, damn, like, did this like it did it expand your mind you did like when you came back to earth was there some moment like that at all yeah yeah absolutely i think i think and i think it's true i you know wherever we lift ourselves up and like look you know look at things and and i think it works the other way too where we really kind of look below the surface or look deeper into something too and realize wow there's a lot going on there that i just don't <laughs> you know see or appreciate in my daily life and yeah, definitely. You know, um, I've always been in awe of like pulling away from the planet, whether it's flying in airplanes. I, I don't know about you, but people get irritated at me because I'm not pulling the window shade down to watch the movie. Right. Yeah, There's this, I'm like, look, do you see what's out the window? And... <laughs> I'm like, we're flying above the planet. Right, right. And, you know, and then you pull, you know, a couple hundred more miles up, which is where we were on the space station. And getting this horizon to horizon, you know, undeniable, wow, that is a planet kind of thing, you know, just glowing, iridescent, all the colors, you know, earth to be like splattered on this super bright light bulb or something. And that's me describing it to my seven year old son when Mm -hmm. when I flew the first time. And I think there's, and you said it too, you know, this um, kind of this power and pulling away, separating ourselves and then really feeling more connected yeah, you know, in some way than we do when we're right down in the middle of it. And um, I think that's a, it's a blessing to do that, you know, to really um, acknowledge that relationship you have with everything that you're seeing. And, uh, and then, you know, I think, um, I, I think of all the views I had from space of earth, and just regardless of what I was looking at, hurricane, you know, swirling across the ocean, moving, you know, where that looked like watching the planet with the mute button on, you know, and seeing yeah. this beautiful swirly white billowy thing that just looked like you wanted to hop on it. Right. And, and yet knowing the people underneath that thing are not feeling the same way I am about, <laughs> about it right now. You know, this contrast in this beauty that you can see from one vantage point, but then the understanding of what might really be going on there. And I think that really set with me like, wow, you know, I saw earth in this way that just always was, always was stunning, always was beautiful. And yet I know there's some serious challenges going on there. So how do I come back to earth and share what I saw and experienced in a way that 
you know, it's kind of like a call to action to people to say, hey, we we have the power to create a future for ourselves down here on Earth that is as beautiful as it looks from space, right? We we can overcome all these things if we behave like we are on our spaceship in space. Yeah. Uh, again, seems very simple. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, it's but, we always try to kind of simplify things, yes, because you know it, it makes sense. I mean, we we always try to make things complicated as people. I mean, on this yeah. planet, we've got roads yeah. and cars, and now we yeah. want flying cars. And, you know, it's... Yeah. it's, it's, it's I it's, want flying cars to be able to get rid of the roads. <laughs> you know, I, I've my whole life thought that, too. You know, I've, I've thought flying cars, why why do we not have flying cars? It's 2021. Yeah. How do we not have flying cars? Yeah, it's, we were supposed to have them by now. I'm would, much older than you, and we were supposed to have them by now. Yeah, we, yeah. we had autonomous flying cars at that, too. You know, let them fly yeah. themselves. And yeah. I think, it actually... Uh, in Beijing for the Olympics, I think they actually have manned drones for uh, transportation for people back and forth. I think that uh, that contract has been signed. I'm not for sure, but I, I've talked to a couple of people that are investing in that company because it, they are actually giving people rides back and forth at the um, at the uh, Olympics. And yeah, so there's start. There's a lot of stuff starting to pick up. I think we're gonna, you know, ten years from now, we're gonna look at it and we're gonna be like, you know, wow, what you know, just the, the drastic change in things. Um, totally. I think people are feeling like there's a need to, to really shift. I mean, like dramatically shift the way, way we're doing things. I mean, I get irritated here every time I end up on the highway or on a road that used to be two lanes and now it's six lanes and they're throwing another flyway over the top of it. I'm like, we, sh we should be thinking the opposite way. How do we pull the cars off the road? So we don't need to be build these concrete things anymore. Well, it's yeah. crazy. I mean, people don't realize the the effect that it does have having a roadway. And someone, you know, I own an excavation company. We build roads, you know, we do things yeah. like that as well. And so um, sometimes I don't really even believe some of the things that we are doing just for the infrastructure that does exist now. But for me, I feel like we're, I know it seems like everything's exponentially grown. Obviously, in 1910, cars were just hitting the road, you know, so we're, we're barely into this thing as cars. But um, when we look at the exponential growth that we have had in that short amount of time, you kind of do look upwards to the sky to say, hey, why aren't these things in the air? But um, I guess one of my quite to circle back, I guess, you know, we do have the roadways, uh, for example, like, you know, if you were to take away all the roadways, there's all that vegetation that, we, that would be back there for one. Um, and not to mention just the heat index that is, is basically radiating off of the roads uh, is, is pretty unsurmountable. And ultimately, yeah. There was this company that I don't know if it got a lot of traction, but they were pitching something at ASU a long time ago. And it was basically these solar roadways, which I thought was like the way of the future. But, yeah. you know, it seems like we use that excess byproduct of oil for our roadways. And so there's a there's a big chunk of political dynamic that is involved with that. Um, but one thing I guess that's like to make long circle, maybe it's a triangle now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it seems some of the conversations that I've heard on podcasts, uh, people talking about like, you know, space trash, for example, you know, no one's necessarily really regulating space. Like we're up there, but no one's really, you know, we're kind of like a global or a global coalition, coalition, if you will, that's kind of managing it. Right. But um, is it true that there's like a, you know, the reflective aspect of space trash floating around the globe is kind of reflect, refracting sun back. And would that maybe apply if like all of our traffic was to lift and suspend above us, would it be blocking out our vegetation and, you see yeah, I, you know, I, I mean, I'm all for flying cars and stuff, but I think there's, you know, there's a balance in all of it, right? Yeah. Um, 
when I look at look at a new highway being built, I'm thinking, okay, why why aren't we looking at how we better use what we already have in place and yeah. pulling you know pulling things off the existing roads we have, and um, you know just kind kind of the balance. This, the same thing is true, you know, in how we manage the you know the assets in outer space as well. And um, fortunately, there are a number of agencies that are uh, responsible for like the regulation of debris, especially the human created debris in oh, space. There, there, and, there are, there are. Yeah, th there are. And as well as, and there, there's some of the same groups that are responsible for how, you know, how and where satellites get placed in orbit and what, what their um, like life cycle kind of management needs to be. And are you going to boost them up higher when their life is ended? Or are you going to figure out how to deorbit it, burn it up so it doesn't stay in space or, you know, come back to earth? Um, and I think that's becoming more and more critical as, you know, we see these constellations of satellites being um, launched now, these small satellites to try to distribute, <clears throat> you know, bandwidth um, and access to the interweb. Um, yeah you know, around the planet. And uh, that's, you know, that's going to become more complicated. But I think that it's the thought of it is being integrated right up front a lot more than um, than perhaps we had in the past. And yeah. um, so, you know, there's <clears throat> the sustainable push either way. You know, how do we look at the life cycle of something and um, not just keep trashing it up to, you know, to, to put more out there? Um, you know, the other thing is we, you know, when you talk about like lifting stuff off the planet, excuse me, <clears throat> to, to improve life here on earth, um, sustainable energy options are, are one of the things that, you know, you know, wind, solar, even like if it's a solar road or something and um, hydro, whatever it might be to get us off the, you know, the carbon generating yeah. um, fossil fuel stuff. Um, there's this leap we could take right now that would just be so it, it would just it would like change life as we know it on earth and that would be to lift all of our energy production off of earth into um you know space-based solar stations solar power stations and um there's several references you can go look at um i think the national space society did a really good recent um review of how this could be done but when I see things like um, the $2 trillion infrastructure, you know, bill that's being pushed right now. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of great stuff in that. You know, a lot of it is how do we um, revamp our, you know, get off the fossil fuels to, you know, be more um, conscientious about how we're providing our energy. I'm like, why aren't we just taking it up a notch and not for any more money? Yeah. And, just go in space with it. Take it completely off of Earth and unlimited solar energy there for us. It's not cloudy in space. You know, we're not worrying about when we can generate this, this power. And, you know, we've got the tech that has been developed that we're looking at at how you transfer that down to Earth to, you know, the distribution sites for it that could significantly, like huge orders of magnitude, reduce the, you know, the greenhouse gas carbon footprint of generating electricity and, and not just for one place on earth, but for the whole planet that way. Yeah. And um, boggles my mind why when any kind of major um, 
revamp of way, the way we're going to live our lives here on Earth doesn't bring space technology into play to, you know, to, to look at it. Because I think the last estimate I saw was like 50 billion or something, or even if it was 100 billion or 200 billion dollars to do this, that's like a drop compared to $2 trillion for, you know, the overall thing, if the, your, your right. chunk for energy was put to that instead of something else, but. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got me on a rant on that one. Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's fascinating though. I mean, because I mean, obviously there's so many questions I could ask about that, about the why nots. Obviously there's the yeah. obvious, you know, <clears throat> what if something catastrophic happened? Right. There's the, I can ask all those questions, but I'm sure those are the things that are being worked on and worked out. And yeah, more will I'm, I'm more curious in how can we because and, and why? And is this is this potentially why we need Space Force in the future? Is this like <laughs> what Space Force would be kind of like help? Because I mean, when now we put our our resource in, in the, up into space and, you know, down here, we don't act like a crew with resources so much, you know, like we're, we're a little, we're a little crude with it. So, I mean, yeah. how does that, how does that look in your eyes? I wonder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple reasons um, with respect to the, the, this idea of a space force. First of all, we already had one it's just built, was just right. built into the air force with space command. It just yeah. wasn't identified as a separate entity. Right. Um, they like, along with like, um, like technology development with DARPA and other, um, you know, of the military-based kind of technology development um, areas are, are looking at space-based solar power. And not just for like coming back to Earth, but for how, you know, we've always powered our spacecraft in some way off of solar. Look at look at the space station, you know, those ginormous solar right. panels that are on it. That's, yeah. can't they can't find any better example of living off the grid than, you know, than the International Space Station right now. And um, so there's always been huge investment through um, through the military tech side in space. Uh, and, and I think we'll start to see more of that being integrated with the civil side of it as well, um, you know, through those kinds of things. Um, but it's just to me, it's just another example of this whole idea of off the earth for the earth. Um, you know, Jeff Bezos, who has uh, Blue Origin as a company that, you know, that uh, owns Amazon as well. Yeah. You know, my husband always tells me to look at, he's like, look at the way these guys, Elon, Jeff, these other guys, you know, these people are um, developing their space companies, right? Every single one of them has some sci-fi author or sci-fi um, mm. story or inspiration behind what they're doing. And for, for Bezos, you know, you can look at it and see, okay, he's looking at the, the science fiction approaches where it was about you know, how do we lift the industrial things, the things that are really causing damage here on the planet, you know, that are protected by that blue line outside of it, off it, and then bring the benefit back to earth um, without impacting the planet itself. And, you know, that's what something like space-based solar power is all about. You know, let's, let's get all this stuff, the mining, the, you know, everything about it off of earth and into space to support us. And then your question about what if something goes wrong, you know, some cat cat catastrophe in space or whatever that takes stuff down, you know, you'll have to have backup there as well. But then there would be some balance of how do we maintain some, you know, limited infrastructure here on the planet to, you know, to have balance to out that. Balance, yeah. 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 yeah you know, you got to evolve towards it too. But um, 
So, so that, we got to think big about how we overcome these challenges. Well, yeah. I mean, is that that yeah. why we're leading towards like multi-planetary, like planet uh, inhabitants, like that we're going to be basically living on potentially Mars and other planet, other 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 planets that we're thinking of inhabiting uh, other than Mars. Um, Mars is the only one I know right now. You know, the moons of a couple different planets like Jupiter seem are very attractive as well, you know, within our own solar system. And then, of course, you've got, you know, all of this um, research that's going on now and these, the detection of these what they call like um, Earth-like planets in this Goldilocks zone, you know, with respect to their own right. star, they're like at this distance in size. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, what seems like would be comparable to what we have here on Earth, but, you know, that's interstellar travel then, right? Yeah. And so, you know, to go to Mars, we're talking about within our own solar system, which is challenging enough on its own, but there are people already, there are groups already looking at how do we develop the tech that we need to get out you know, out of our solar system as human beings to travel like that at the speeds and the, um, you know, and with the resources to be able to survive, to get to, to get to somewhere like that. And, yeah. you know, kind of that looking at that Star Trek future of things, um, if you want the most positive <laughs> way to imagine that. And, um, but right now, you know, you think about going to Mars, um, Mars doesn't even have the resources that my space station had, right? Mars is not welcoming us there, right? So we yeah. have to treat it like a spaceship that we're going to go and build every, you know, put everything in place that will allow us to survive there. And, you know, that's about getting off Earth in one way, exploring, learning more about who and where we are, um, developing the, the methods for living off our, like, our home planet, um, but ultimately, I think it's even about improving life on Earth in one way or another. And then in the billions of years or so, when the sun decides it's not going to maintain the solar system anymore, hopefully we've expanded that enough that we are, you know, outside of our own solar system because Mars ain't going to cut it when the sun decides to yeah. <laughs> stop on us either. So. so it's kind of just like a short stop anyway to where we're really going. So where are we really going? <laughs> You know, I don't know. I'm I'm really hopeful that, you know, in 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 my lifetime, I see that whole Mars thing going down. Yeah, um, I, I know. I mean, I know in one way or another that I will witness. I'm hopefully actually I'm actually hopeful that somebody will invite me to travel with them to the moon. That would be outstanding. So you want to go um, in? Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. You know, right right now I keep joking, you know, with my husband and son, like so we gotta become independently wealthy somehow so that we can afford a day to go, you know. But you know, I never say never, right? On that kind of thing. I would I would love to do that. Um, you know, the the moon, it's like our this purpose built space station for us, right? You know, two days away, quarter million miles. Um resources there that again we can be utilizing uh appropriately to to benefit life on earth, to help us get further off of earth, um, to lift industry off the planet again. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, so, so it only takes us two days to get there. Yeah. You know, if you think about the Apollo, the, the approach we took with Apollo launching off the earth and then kind of doing this slingshot method, using the, right. the gravity and the rotation to get us out to lunar orbit and stuff. Um, you know, we look at like a day and a half, two day, you know, trip for, for doing that. And, and you're touching down on the moon. And then you're touching down on the moon, which is That's pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty, I did not know. I thought yeah. it was like months. 
No, no, it's months to go to Mars. I mean, right now, I think they've got it down to like eight, nine months to get to Mars. Uh, and then you get there and you've got to, you're pretty much committing to like the, a minimum of a three year trip for Mars. Because even if you get to Mars, you know, once you get there after that eight, nine months, the planets have to kind of align and orbit properly to get you that same eight or nine month trip home. Right. Otherwise you could be on the opposite side of the sun. You could be, you know, even further away than the 35 million miles. That's the shortest distance. I mean, this is, so it's, I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's mind boggling. I, I but, find it difficult to think, you know, to really even think about, but. Um, well, it's even more mind boggling to it. get in the, the craft to go there. I mean, it's like, I, I, I commend you so much to even do that. It's just I mean, <laughs> out there and just be like, all right, because I'm what I'm visualizing now. I, you know, as the Earth is spinning, it's it's whizzing mm -hmm. as it's spinning, right? So our trajectory, your trajectory, rather, as you come out uh, out of the Earth, you're basically still carrying that orbit speed. Is that right? Is yeah. that so? Since there's no real resistance in space, are you just maintaining that speed as you whip on out there? Very good. Yeah. Essentially, what we're doing is just falling around the planet continuously falling around the planet, kind of this free fall around Earth, because we've given ourselves enough, you know, we've accelerated enough, we've gotten to the speed that allows us to, to just keep going around versus falling back in, right? And I always like to think about it like, you know, the simplest way, because my mind works that way, is, um, you know, you throw a ball, right? If you throw it with a little bit of energy, it's going to go for a little while, but then it's going to plop down in front right. of you. But if you float, throw it with enough you know, speed, enough force, it's going to keep kind of going around, around the planet, you know, before it drops down a lot further away. And that's essentially what we're doing when we've launched off earth. We've just, we've launched ourselves with enough, you know, energy to keep us in that place where we just keep falling around versus dropping back in. Gotcha. So you have yeah. to have enough thrust coming up off the earth to yeah. even get into that. So however much you're actually projecting up off the earth and that you, so if you do a little bit you're going to land maybe at the moon you do a little bit more you're going to land on mars yeah, actually. yeah. Okay. and then we take advantage of kind of the whole what we call orbital mechanics of it and we even do that when we launch to, to go to the space station is you know you mentioned that you've got the earth rotating below you that allows you to get into a different you know position and but if you get into orbit around the earth you can use kind of this you know they call it like this slingshot method that allows you to use that that pull that gravitation to you know, sling you off into a, um, you know, a different orbit as well. And I don't know, there's things about, you know, if you can get up higher, it'll slow you down. If you can get up, you know, with, when you have the same kind of energy in there or you, you bring yourself down lower, you'll speed up coming around. I mean, it's really yeah. cool. Um, what our, our friends are going to go through over this next um, day of rendezvousing with the space station is basically just that they're, they've given themselves enough energy to get in orbit and now they want to go meet up with this space station that's already someplace else in space right and so they're doing these little burns of their thrusters that allow them to like raise up and then speed up or you know burn retrograde to slow down and get below and i mean i mean it's a really totally cool process that, that it goes through just to kind of line up to be able to put two things together in space so once you are coming up to, the, once you're approaching an object, are you like reverse thrustering? Like, like you're coming in like a boat dock, essentially? Uh, um, it's a little like that. Yeah. You know, you get to where um, there's kind of a relative speed, you know, between the two. And um, that all is all used to balance out. But, you know, remember, like if you push your thruster to speed up, that's also going to make you go up. So you've got to kind of count, you know, you're countering that the whole way as you're as you're flying in. 
And then, yeah, you know, you, you end up slowing down essentially to a speed that allows you to just kind of, you know, it. gently dock. But it's, it's incredible to watch. I mean, I remember approaching the space station in the space shuttle and um, at first against like this, the blackest black I'd ever seen in my life of space, there's this tiny little dot of light that we knew was the space station just because our computers told us, right? And then it got big enough that it looked like this perfectly shaped, like the size of my fingernail space station, right way out there. Really? And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm docking with this thing. I can't even see from one end to the other of it now. I, I can't believe it, like the size of a football field wow. um, that is in your face when you're, <laughs> when you're docking. This tiny little dot of light that turns into this ginormous spaceship. So you guys so. just approach it fast in that in that manner. Like when, when you first saw it, so then how it was in the face. How long was that the process? Um, that's over. You know, that's over several hours once you you know get to where you yeah. can see it and are lining up. Um, yeah, I mean you're moving fast when we're on the the shuttle or the station. You're traveling at seventeen thousand five hundred miles an hour around the Earth. So at about five miles a second. So you go around the Earth every ninety minutes. Um, and, and then once you're, you know, aligned to, you know, come and meet up, um, you know, your relative speed, you slow that down a lot. I mean, down to like one digit feet per second kinds of yeah. things, yeah. you know, I mean, to where it's really just this meticulously deliberate, diligent thing to, you know, to dock. But um, it's a beautiful thing to watch. It really is. And, and the crew is, is operating that or is it like running off of satellite or how is that happening? <sighs> Well, um, on the space shuttle, there was a lot of manual flying that went along with it, but, you know, built into that is some automatic stuff too, like some pre-programmed maneuvers and things. Um, on the new spacecraft, like, like the SpaceX Dragon that, you know, our, our crew is flying up with um, in this next day, they've tried to automate as much as possible. I think ideally they'd love it if they could just, you know, the crew could fall asleep and, you know, the, they just wake up and they're docked to the space station. Yeah. I don't think there's any NASA crew, at least at this point, that is willing to just fall asleep and let the thing dock to the <laughs> space station. I mean, I think there's, there's, there's a need to be engaged at least, um, you know, in case something does go wrong, if, you, if there is a manual um, takeover that's necessary and, and then in all of it, there's some, you know, there are some manual tasks that need to happen. But um, the goal is to just like down here to have those automatic, you know, autonomous flying totally. um, cars is to or drones is to have, um, you know, autonomously flying spaceships, too, which there have been all, you right. know, all along. Yeah. Just. Um, yeah. We, when we put the people in them, we tend to want the backup, too. Yeah, I'm sure. But I mean, there's, is there like a, a captain that's actually holding something that looks like a airplane yoke type of situation? You know, on the shuttle, we had a hand controller, like you might imagine in a, um, like a fighter jet or something, you know, the rotational hand controller that a lot of kids think of their video games when they see yeah. these things now. Right. And like little, um, controls to in increase thrust or, um, you know, move in one direction or another. On um, like on the Dra Dragon spacecraft, there's not a hand controller thing. There's, you know, you're actually interacting with the commands through uh, a, like a big iPad interface almost. So you're um, not looking out like a window, let's say. They are not looking out a window. They have views on those screens that allow them to see where, you know, what's being, where the guidance is and, you know, alignment and all of that. But they're not like in their seat physically looking out a window right. at, at it. Um, on the shuttle, we did have 
we did have windows that you could use, which was so cool. You know, you're basically looking out of a window as you're flying it in, in addition to the screens that you had to, wow. um, to see it. Yeah. So, so when you're taking off, are you in a vertical stance? Like when you first went in? Um, yeah. So the, the vehicle is vertical. So like if you imagine an airplane tipped on its tail, so then you'd be laying on your back and then in, um, like in the Dragon capsule that launched today, it's this capsule on the top of a big rocket. And, and the crew again is kind of in this reclined on your back position going up. And that's, you know, that's good for a number of reasons on our, on our body. It's a lot less stressful to have the load coming through your chest than yeah. coming through your head. Yeah. And um, so physiologically, that's, that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, it's kind of neat. You get out there and you're laying on your back for a little, while a couple hours waiting for launch to happen and then that's i mean yeah. that's just got to be the most insane experience i mean so you're sitting there you're in basically you know recliner position yeah. facing the sky and then what's that like when you take off i mean is there just like a power and force that you really can't comprehend i mean it's just, that's what yeah. it seems visually when you see a rocket take off <laughs> you're like I can't imagine being inside of that. And, and just from like yeah. my own perspective, being an operator of machinery and so on, I know the force that's with those. I mean, if you crash a large dump truck, let's say, I mean, the force that is in that, you could, there's yeah. thing that I can get crushed, but you could just die from the impact essentially, you know? Right. So I, it's gotta be just catastrophic, that force of taking off. What, what is that like? It's, it is incredible. It's awesome. You know, that word totally applies. Um, the most dynamic thing I've ever experienced, just, you know, body shaking kind of thing. Um, on the shuttle, um, it was about 7 million pounds of thrust, you know, to get off the pad and into space. And yes. I think when those solid rocket boosters lit, I mean, there was, it was like this, rea all, this reality check all of a sudden, like, wow, that's what 7 million pounds of thrust feels yeah. like, you know? like slammed in the back, slammed in the front, shaking. I mean, like shaking, like I didn't imagine my body could ever shake. And I've watched the video, you know, like the cockpit video. And I look at it, you can see a shaking, you know, shaking around and stuff. But I'm like, that does not, that does not show you how I felt like yeah. jello inside. Bones apart. Yeah. yeah. You know, and the, um, and then you're accelerating too. Right. And so it's like, three of you are starting to climb on top of you, you know, on your chest. And so you're, you're weighing a lot and you're shaking. And, and I think about it, I'm like, you know, it's really, I don't know if they did this on purpose, but like for the first minute and a half after a space shuttle launch, there wasn't a whole lot the crew could do, you know, actively do other than monitor the systems, communicate with the mission control team to make sure everything was going okay. Um, and I think that, you know, that's kind of a good thing because as a human being experiencing all that, I mean, you need to get that like woohoo out. You need to high five your crewmate. <laughs> you need to like have that that smile yeah. on your face and just be like, wow, um, as that's happening. And yeah. yeah, and then you know, eight and a half minutes later, you're in space, orbiting the planet at seventeen thousand five hundred miles an hour, feeling like like this floaty, effortless, you know, nothing is pushing on me anymore thing, which is awesome. really wild. It's just a, it's probably a long eight minutes. Um, yeah. getting up there. But wow, that's... I don't know. You know, it's one of those time warpy kinds of things. You know, yeah. it feels like probably it's taken a while and then afterwards you're like, holy moly, that went by fast. Was I ever on a launch pad kind of thing? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> well, it's got to yeah. be like a, a part of you too when you're taking off. I mean, that you're just kind of like, holy shit, what have I done? Like, this is, this is, <laughs> I'm going for a wild ride right now. 
Um, yeah, that those two words you, you need to think about them before you even strap in. I think because uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, you need to kind of reconcile with that uh, ahead of it all. But um, you're definitely aware. I mean, you know, it's it's naive to think, oh, this is just you know no risk associated with this at all. I mean, um, I think there's a there's a respect for um, you know for all that's getting you off the planet and. Um, and certainly, you know, I mean, I just remember feeling anxious and ready to do it, you know, after all the training and, um, just knowing the people that had put the spacecraft together and stuff, you know, their belief in the care and feeding is their responsibility of those, yeah. those spaceships. And, you know, fear for me was really in, in any of it was about my family, you know, yeah. watching me do it. It's a lot harder to watch somebody <laughs> strap into a rocket than it is to be the person doing it. So the world's best husband award right there yeah yeah I, no kidding because <laughs> i mean that's I mean, yeah it's like it, you know yeah. it's a it's a pretty that's one of the crazier things we do as people is go to yeah. space i think i mean um we're fascinated by people that you know jump motorcycles and bmx and race yeah. cars. it's all relative though isn't it you know it, in the way the way you kind of balance that risk reward yeah uh, you know i mean i think about it launching in space actually both times my son was seven the first time nine the second time and you know, I don't think you do it just for, ooh, this adventure of yeah. flying on a spaceship. It's like, you know, I believe that the work we're doing there is is valuable. It's about improving life on Earth, you know, which means the life for my son could be better and, you know, all those kinds of things that you would expect. Um, okay. Now, that's not to downplay that the adventure side of it is really awesome. <laughs> highly, <laughs> highly recommend it, you know, yeah. but um, that is, that's not the be all end all. Yeah. of it for sure yeah. and you know my friend who launched today megan MacArthur, who was the pilot on um this uh crew two dragon flight her husband her husband bob she and her husband bob were in my astronaut class and bob flew a year or so ago on the test flight of the crew dragon um with uh another classmate of mine doug hurley who is married to another classmate of mine, Karen Nyberg, uh, you know, in our astronaut class. And so there's like today to watch Megan going out to the launch pad when a year or so ago, Bob had just done that um, in the same spacecraft, actually. Yeah. And, you know, on the first flight when Bob was launching, there's Megan with their son watching Bob head off to the launch pad. And then today there's Bob with you know, with Theo watching Megan head off to the launch pad. So amazing. You know, all those kinds of thoughts, those human things, emotions, all of it are going along with it as well. Oh, I'm sure. Well, I, I mean, as you're as you're getting, you know, lifted off of Earth. I mean, is there sometimes like what I'll do for myself is I'll I'll, uh, I'll be like, oh, if, if I'm flying, for example, I've, I've you know the past couple of years been flying and uh, slowly getting my pilot's license. It's been okay. a very slow slow process. Um, but when I go, there's like a moment, I must admit, like when we're kind of like taking off and we're just barely kind of clearing this, this tree section, yeah. I'm like, wow, oh, so many people do it. And I think about different, oh, that's, this person's done it and this person's done it. But obviously that's not it's somewhat of a variable or, or a, a fact, obviously. But what, what was in your head as you were like going up? Did you ever have a moment where you're like, okay, so many other people have done this and, um, it's gotta be somewhat fearful. I mean, obviously you, 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 you accept that you do it before you go. But you gotta. There's gotta be. Yeah, a there's an energy there. There, I mean, there's yeah. an energy there for sure. I, I think you just try not to dwell on it. I mean, I get in my car and drive to the grocery store, and I'm thinking some of that stuff. That's so funny. You know, like, <laughs> you know, and a lot of it's like, you know, please, dear Lord, let the people that are on the road with me, you know, have respect <laughs> for my presence there. You know, right. um, 
you know, that kind of thing. I think, I think that's with us all the time, no matter what, yeah. no matter what we're doing and in, in one way or another. Um, yeah. And then in space, like when I was on the station, you know, living there, you know, I was, I mean, we just train so much for all the things we think can go wrong. Yeah. And I just watched how beautifully, you know, our crew came together and responded to things when the alarm bells were going off. And so I felt like if something happens here, we, we are going to do as much, you know, as humanly possible to save situation. Yeah. Right. And yet um, I, I was always kind of a little afraid of something happened to my family on the ground and my not being able to be there. Right. Yeah. It wasn't about me. Something happened to me in space. It was about, oh, my gosh, what if something happens to my son on Earth? I can't just hop in my spaceship and, and head home for that. Yeah. And that's true in a lot of cases down here on on Earth as well. You know, you got people on these military deployments that, you know, good Lord, they can't even talk to their family the way I could from space. Yeah. Every day I could talk to my family. Yeah. And, um, you know, and there's no way they're just sending them home if something happens to somebody they care about, you know. And so yeah. um, I go on a business trip. I feel the same, <laughs> feel the same yeah. way, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, that's, that's just the human in it. Yeah. There's I mean it's nice that we do have human aspect of things still, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. I, it's funny because I, I talk to a lot of people that, you know, they, they want this like symbiotic relationship with AI and so on. I'm like, you gotta understand, like we are humans, like right now, still, we are not robots yet. Like that is not, what's, that's <laughs> we not are not happening. robots. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, uh, there's a lot, there was a lot in like common between like you and I, like when we first kind of met that I, I appreciated that. I didn't realize I would have in common with you. Like as, um, my grandfather, for example, he worked at NASA for a long time and he worked in the, in the robotics department, which I think I mentioned yeah. too, um, and getting, you know, robots to Mars and so on. But like, we just never, I felt like we didn't really have like the same, like, like we didn't really sync up like mentally all the time as far as like what we like thought about, you know, certain things, adventure, let's say. So he's a little nerdy, honestly. Is it just, yeah. just what it, but you, you kind of have this sense of adventure. Are, are you like this on earth? Do you go whitewater rafting or surfing or something or you, what do you, what are you, what are your hobbies here? Um, I mean, I like, I like scuba diving. I like flying. Yeah. Um, I like gardening. I know that's not all that adventurous, but I mean, for me, it, it's more about like being outdoors, I yeah. think with whatever it is. Um, my son yeah. is working on his pilot's license. So I'm looking forward to getting back into that more myself, you yeah. know, and being able to be with him while that's going on. Um, you fly? But I'm not, I'm not a like, um, want to be at the edge of the cliff kind of person. I'm not a, I what? mean, I like uh, to go whitewater rafting, but I want to know that I'm not going to fall out of the boat. You know, I mean, there's stuff, yeah. there's stuff like that. Um, so you seem like I'm not big on the cruise because I have a fear of the rogue wave, you know, I mean, that kind of thing. I'm out on cruises anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not, it'll but, you know, there's like things the like that, you know, it's like thinking about going to on an Antarctica trip. I'm like, all right, do we have to take one of those ships that goes across that really, really crazy water to get down there? Because that would scare me. Yeah. And but, you're, but you're taking calculated risks, which is something that I do very often. And yeah. it's, you know, sometimes people would put it, you might not think of it as, you know, uh, a, someone like an adrenaline seeking person, let's say, or something like that. But you are taking a very calculated risk, but it is for like the greater of good um obviously for science and exploration yeah. and so on i mean it sounds like you like scuba diving too which is like another oh, absolutely most people 
Uh, you just go under, you stick your head underwater with a, with a snorkel mask on and it's just a whole other planet. It's another world. And I'll tell you, you know, one of the greatest things I got to do to prepare to go to space was to go live underwater for 18 days on the Aquarius habitat off Holy the coast of Key Largo. Fuck. Anyway, so I, you know, before we say goodbye, <laughs> yes. I want to know what's, I want to know what's up with you. Cause I, I kind of, you know, I remember, um, just being really impressed with not just the, you know, the beauty of your artwork and, um, you know, kind of the, just the aesthetic attractiveness of it too, but just the, I don't know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of mechanics behind that. I mean, there's a, there's a process that's very different, you know, than what you see normally. And, um, and yet there's almost like this delicate, like nature to the work that's um, really intriguing to me. So um, I'm pretty sure I asked you about it before, but I just I'd love to hear again how you got to where you took um, the work you do and then applied it to art. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, um, I I think there's there's no accidents. Uh, it's uh, the, all the things that lead you to wherever you are in life are just a collective of your experience ultimately. And yeah. um, you know, I've thought about that a lot because people always ask me that question, like, how did you get here? And they're like, how did, like, why this? And why are you doing this? Are you just doing it because you can? Is it like kind of like there's like one of those things to the world? And it's, um, and the truth is, it's probably a collection of everything, honestly. Um, I think probably the first time I realized uh, any sort of artist, like any sort of like skill, let's say, in, in artistry was probably when I was like maybe young, but I would, I would, I would realize it within other people more, more than myself. And I was always so impressed with people that could draw or paint really beautifully yeah. in high school. You know, I just, I, the kids that are around me, the quiet kid that would you know, draw something, some, you know, hyper realism with a ballpoint pen. Um, and then that kid, you know, just kind of goes on to work at like a yeah. or whatever. And I'm like, this kid is, this kid should be in a museum. Like this is unbelievable. Um, so I think that's probably like the root of things. And then as time went on, you know, just, um, you know, grew up in a, a family where my father had an excavation company and, uh, and always just being fascinated by big machinery and, and then life goes on. And, uh, I became very interested in the, the conversation of AI and our, uh, uh, that symbiosis between us and them and potentially, or what have you. And, uh, it just kind of all merged together. And I was always as an outlet when I was racing, whenever I was hurt, I would be painting and doing stuff. Like all my racing friends would make fun of me for it. They're like, oh, what are you, an artist? Like, get out of here with this. Like, that's a terrible airplane or like whatever it was that I would paint for my house. Honestly, I just like be painting things for my home when I was, when I just moved out. And so uh, from there, it just kind of like started progressing. I like really started getting into like, like modern abstract art um, just because I thought it was so fascinating psychologically that people were thinking that, so, that far outside the box a hundred years ago. Just, you know, just simplicity on, on canvas or on hemp, actually, more so. Right. Um, you know, and so it just, it, that psychological aspect of it became really fascinating that people would be thinking less is more even back then. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's as fascinating to me that people were going to space so long ago and the fact that people thought of Star Wars, the, the theme of Star Wars so long ago. I mean, you know, even now it's like, yeah, it's a little out there, you know, but it's not, you know, it's, it's really tangible. Um, so I like the idea of, doing something that what I had known that nobody had done before. I've always kind of just been on that mission. I've always been inventing something or trying to come up with something. And maybe that's a little bit more of my ego speaking to, to things that I want to be the first one to do something, let's say. Um, and so I just kind of, I had been working on this series, not for any professional reason or anything. I just had, 
was exploring with paint, just uh, taking these big squeegees and putting them on canvas and putting sandbags and cinder blocks yeah. and dragging them around and playing with that aesthetic and then realizing I could create something three-dimensional on, on a 2D plane using two-dimensional movement um, just kind of started to just compile into this movement of like, okay, well, I think this could actually be something really interesting. Like, how can I actually get uh, the aesthetic that I want without doing this big clumsy task? And then I literally had a dream to paint with my excavator. So I woke up in the middle of the night and I jotted it down in my <laughs> sketchbook and, you know, and, and did this like little drawing of an excavator holding a paintbrush, really rudimentary. And I sat on that idea for a couple of years and I just, it was cold and miserable in the Hamptons and, uh, you know, work was a little bit slow. And I was like, you know, I really need to like take to that and see if I can really create something that's, that's beautiful with something that you see on the side of the road that causes traffic and is usually just destructing something, you know, it's, it's, yes. it's usually something you, you, you correlate with destruction. You know, if you, if you have kids who've seen Fern Gully, they don't look at machines as like, yeah, something yeah, yeah. That makes something beautiful. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I really like the idea of changing people's like perspective of things and in multiple multiple disciplines not just like machinery but like we all are so one-dimensional of like you know or one-dimensional of like how we look at things you know we look at something and we just think one thing yeah. and i thought that this was like a really interesting way to kind of segue um art with machinery and i know this is out of left field but sustainability and i know that art doesn't seem sustainable to a lot of people but I think that when you are applying machinery and human thought and forethought and artistry uh, into like some of my earthworks installations, which are kind of like my passion projects, you know, all of those are basically self-funded at this point. Or I have another friend that, that helps me fund some of the, mm -hmm. the, the legal aspects of things. Um, I think that there's like a big uh, collision of minds that kind of like meets there that nobody really knows where it goes. But and even when I first started, it was like, oh, you're going to do this painting, you know, why? What's the point? You have, a, you have this company, you have this going on. You have, and I'm like, I just want to. I, yeah. I, want to, I want to be able to, you know, showcase my work. I want to be taken seriously as an artist. I don't want to just be known as the guy that has an excavation company or the guy that raced dirt bikes or, you know, but now it's funny because you fast forward all this time and a lot of people only know me as an artist. They only know me for yeah. those types of things. And they don't even know that I can maybe even ride a motorcycle or I even have an excavation company. They and just gotta look at your Instagram page. They'll know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, so it's, it's, it's become funny that way, but yeah, I, it is a kind of, just like a collision of a bunch of just life happenings that kind of landed me here. And now it's like, just, it's led me to so many interesting people. You know, I never thought I'd have a podcast. I never thought I would, be a professional artist um you know my when i was a kid i was i was um i was telling my girlfriend actually saying like you know when i was a kid the farthest i could see was becoming a professional motorcycle racer that was my whole goal in life that's all i cared yeah. about and then you you kind of pursue something like that and you start realizing that your mission may not be um beneficial to all if you're not you know if you're not someone like let's say a travis pastrana a very prominent athlete let's say then you're just kind of like someone on a on a self-indulgent journey and you're just trying to be a professional athlete because you want to be. And, um, it just wasn't fulfilling enough to me. It wasn't what I wanted. And it's a huge sacrifice. You know, your body just gets destroyed. Um, and art, I gotta be honest, art hasn't been the, hasn't been all that kind either. I've gotten really messed up doing art, you know, like just all the stuff that I'm messing with is super heavy. Everything's 500 pounds. I mean, just my squeegee alone is a couple hundred pounds. Um, 
So yeah, now it's just kind of morphed into being on clothing. It's actually my new clothing line. I know. I like it. Yeah. Quick little plug. Um, but it's really cool, you know, because I, I, I get like a very familiar sense from it because um, there's things that, you know, there was kind of pathways in life and then they all kind of just, you know, start playing together. And, um, and I think, it, you know, sometimes we fight that, right? We're like, oh, no, I got to stay down this path. I need to be the engineer. Or I need to be, need to be yeah. the, you know, the excavation company guy. I can't, yeah. you know, I, I can't, you know, distract myself with that other stuff. And it's amazing how just like more opportunity opens up, more like, you know, introductions open up, more like understanding of how you really can add value to life around you. When you let all those things that, you know, you really are exciting you, that you're curious about, like come together. And I mean, the example I think of is in my world is, um, you know, how possibly could some engineer technical person like or do art? Yeah. You know, you only use that one one side of your brain, right? Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh! I, I mean, I have discovered along the way that I would I would easily say 95 percent of the technical community that I've worked with has some artistic, musical, creative yeah. thing going on, and they're the people you want to work with. They bring them together, or you know that outside of work, they're you know making cakes or do creating longboard skateboards out of seven different kinds of wood, or they're you know, painting or quilting or, you know, playing a flute, whatever it is. Totally. And, you know, and I, I extended that thought to like our kids, you know, in school. And, and I've watched it with my son who's 18 now and getting ready to graduate. And I'm like, every step of the way, there would be somebody at, at school saying, oh, he seems to like this. Let's funnel him that way. Yeah. And I'm like, how about we let the kid use his whole damn brain for as long yeah. as we possibly can yeah. so that, you know, the problem solver that we want him to be totally. and come out of this education we're giving him, you know, and not force him down some pathway where as he's growing up, he thinks, oh, if I like art, I poss couldn't possibly be an engineer. Or if I like science, I couldn't possibly be an artist when in fact you want, you want that blend to come together. Yeah. And I, you know, I know I'm rambling, but I, I, you know, I look at your art and, you know, now this, this approach like through earthworks and stuff, it's like, it's, um, you know, there's definitely messaging there to me, you know, that that's coming through it, but I look at it and I'm just like, there's an inspiration behind of it that is, as far as I can tell, you know, from the awe and wonder you're experiencing around you, you know, from an, a better understanding of the earth, maybe the dirt you're working in when you, you know, pull the excavator through it, what, you know, at, on the work side of things. And then just yeah. that kind of tangible, get your hands in it totally. sense that, you know, comes through the, the artwork as well. And, you know, and that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's a really good thing. Yeah, I mean, we're so conditioned to know art as just being in pristine galleries and, and for the elite, let's say, you know, it's when I grew up in Montana, I, I my, my family, my, my grandparents actually had a, a close friend that was a, an artist. And that was kind of where I first learned that you could be an artist for a job. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, I remember sitting at Thanksgiving dinner and he would just, you know, draw a motorcycle on a napkin and it was just it was like a perfect cartoon, you know, and just, uh, just anything, he could do anything with a paintbrush and just the, the idea that you can, um, that you can have a life that you, that you can create. Like, for example, it's like, yes, I, I guess there's like, there's a lot of messages involved, but it's, you know, that's why I've kind of titled this podcast Artists of Life because yes, I am creating paintings and yes, I do sell paintings, but 
ultimately the message is really that you can do your life how you want to do it. And it doesn't have to be, um, you know, it doesn't have to be about status and it doesn't have to be about all these different things. It can just be what you're actually passionate about. And, you know, we didn't have that option 60 years ago. Yeah. You know, that wasn't, that wasn't the topic of discussion to do what you're passionate about is do what you, your family's done for a long time and continue yeah. that legacy, you know, and, and some people have legacies to upkeep and I, and I understand that. Um, but the, we have a lot of individual will on this planet now, which is crazy, you know, to actually think about, it. at least in this country, like we have just such an opportunity to not, try to write something of that is, I don't know. I think it's, it's kind of our, it's kind of what we're supposed to be doing. It's kind of our duty. So and I've just kind of felt compelled as a, as a, an earthling for whatever reason. I don't know why. Uh, yes, I, excellent. I, yeah. I, I just feel like I feel why, I don't know why, but I feel like I want to do something good. You know, I want to leave something good behind and um, you know, so it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of arguments to say that, you know, that, my carbon footprint because I have machines and so on and so forth. So, but that's like why I do try to pursue doing, you know, sustainable projects, things that are, um, that are going to be for the greater good. And, you know, I get slapped in the face with it all the time. Like, well, you're, you're doing, you know, excavation projects in the Hamptons. Like that's people's second home. Well, guess what? Like it's a whole working class of people here yeah. that people don't talk about. And there's a lot of super on point people that are part of that working class have created amazing businesses that give back, in a crazy way, the community out here, like if somebody yeah. gets sick out here, they have these fundraisers. I mean, they raise a hundred thousand dollars out here for people that have, yeah. they're just working class people, let's say. So um, I think there's a lot of community and sense out here that like that aligned with me being here as well. Um, well, yeah. and I know I'm interrupting you, but I, you know, it, I, I can never buy into this idea that because somebody has, has made money in their life, has been successful in a way that allows them to come live in a second home in the Hamptons, makes them a bad person for some reason. Well, people, people yeah, I don't, I just don't buy into that storyline. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> people, people get, uh, people get a weird rap on things because you know, the, the way that maybe they're treated or, you know, their, their lens of that person from the sidelines, you know, yeah. and, um, some of my clients, I mean, they're some of the wealthiest people in the world. I mean, building skyscrapers in New York city, mm -hmm. you know, go and have lunch with these people and just you know, we're sitting there eating soup and just talking about the dumbest shit ever, you know, yep, just, that's, human. Want that's human. they want to be silly and talk yeah. about and tell dumb jokes and kind of point out your folly a little bit or what have <laughs> you. And they love it when you point out theirs too. So everyone puts their pant legs on one, one at a time. And unless uh, you're in space, you can do it tw two at a time there. Daniel. <laughs> yeah on a good sunday yeah. i can do it too yeah. you know, it's just a good, yeah. you know, i know i know if you really jump high <laughs> but you know i think about when we met too you know the other two artists that were in the little you know area yeah. there and you know big heart i mean every all of the art was large scale right yeah. you know and the booth big out. textured hearts you know and then the horses where you know where she uh -huh. she does them in this beautiful I, I'll use the word delicate again, just almost minimalist kind of way that you're like, that's a horse running in yeah. a, you know, across the pasture or whatever, just you really get the vibe of the action in it. And all three of you were, um, I don't know, just like special people to me. I follow every single one of you since that day. And that's I'm amazing. excited to see how things are, you know, progressing for all of you and that the, the art continues, um, and yep. is doing more and better. And, you know, when we get off of here, there's a couple of people I want to introduce you to in the, um, that are in kind of the artsy world that I think uh, you would enjoy knowing too. 
Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the whole experience with just meeting yeah. people and, and so on. I, was, I thought we were going to actually end up back up in that area. You live close to there, right? Up to, close to Saratoga or somewhere? No, I'm in, I'm in St. Petersburg, Florida. Oh, are you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my, um, my family, my mom, my mom and dad, uh, my dad is from like the Albany, Troy, Schenectady area. Yeah. And my mom um, grew up in Bennington, Vermont. And, yep. um, but they moved down here to Florida when I was a year old. So, you know, Florida is what I know. I still have a lot of relatives up in, in, in New York state and, um, and love visiting. I love Saratoga. I think it's yeah. gorgeous. Um, yeah. But um, no, I've been, I actually, aside from like the 20 years in Houston with the astronaut office, I've, you know, Florida is my place, I think. I had no idea yeah. this whole time. I've yeah. like geographically been placing you there. So no, no, I wouldn't mind a visit back there one of these yeah. days when we can travel again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're not even really doing art shows right now. I mean, like I yeah. actually end up doing this like mobile art rig on my 18 wheeler. Um, so I could just like drive down to the beach and just do mobile art shows. Um, and that was, that was fun. It was cool to like, you know, bring something new to the table while the world's kind of shut down. Um, yeah. But it was, it's kind of sensitive out here. People, you know, can't really, be drawing attention just have like big gatherings it's good yeah i mean now, yeah. But this last summer it was just like people were like oh something exciting like something anything it's like you know <laughs> you could have the, the ice cream truck could have came back to the beach and they would have been excited but yeah um i have one last question and series of questions for you and you you have to know what they are um which i'm sure you get all the time but uh you spend some time like looking out the spacecraft obviously or the the space station while you're up there do you see space debris ever go by? Do you ever see anything going by? Um, you do see stuff every now and then. I mean, I remember, I remember the time that I was, blah, blah. yeah, that was a babbly way. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I remember one night before going, so we go around the earth 16 times a day. And, and in doing that, about every 45 minutes or so, there's a sunrise, sunset. Um, and so we get 16 sunrises and sunsets each day out the window. Um, and I, you know, one night before you're going to bed, it was night pass on earth. And I was by myself in front of the window and I see this, this streak of light go below me, like between me on the spaceship and, and the earth. I'm like, holy moly, you know, what was that? Nobody over told me I'd see something like that. So I floated down to the other end of the station, asked my crewmate about it, who was still up. And he's like, oh yeah, probably, you know, shooting star, piece of debris, meteoroid, you know, kind of thing. I'm like, oh. You know, it would have been nice to know I'd see something like that. So yeah. then you fly back, you know, again to the window and you want to see it again. It's just like, yeah. when you're, you know, on the planet looking up and you see a shooting star, you know, you always like catch it too late to make the wish. So you want another one. Yeah. <laughs> and I want, I mean, I wanted that same thing to happen, you know, in space. And of course I didn't see another one, but I like kind of floated there thinking about it. And I was like, man, you know, that was really pretty. You know, yeah. I hope I see that again. It felt so weird to see something that I'm so used to looking up to see, you know, to be looking down from my spaceship at earth and, and see it, you know, that was very odd. Yeah. And then I remember just kind of floating there thinking, you know, and I'm really glad I saw it. Yeah. That means it didn't hit my spaceship. <laughs> I'm not like responding to some depress alarm right now. Yeah. You know, so there's kind of that, you know, two sides of the um, story there, but yeah, I mean, there was always surprising things like that um just even looking at earth look at the same place if you look at the same place multiple times over time out the window and absolutely something new and surprising about yeah. it would be there and i mean and earth even became like this work of art it wasn't so much important to me 
where on the planet I was looking, though I'll tell you, you get a really good geography lesson from there. I mean, you yeah. can start to just understand, oh my gosh, that's the pinks and oranges of and patterns of a desert in Australia versus yeah. the Sahara or something. Totally. So you knew where you were, but it was really more about like stuff like this, like that little chain of islands and oh, just yeah. being surprised. Oh my God, that looks like a wave or that looks like footprints watching, walking across the ocean or the profile of an elephant in the Amazon river. And you know, yeah. I mean, things like that, where you're just looking at it for kind of the beauty of what you're seeing and the surprise of it. And um, it never failed to inspire and, I mean, that's why I feel like I've got endless inspiration for things to paint. Although what I need to find right. now is the time to do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's always the thing. Yeah. I, my, my paintbrush is a machine. I have to yeah. get back yeah. to my shop. I'm like, it's, it's digging right now. I can't really paint. Yeah. Um, but do you ever, you know, do you ever have like a wonder of maybe seeing something else like a other life or Alien. You know, yeah. I mean, I think that's always kind of there, like you know, almost like a silly expectation of it. Yeah. Um, even though I believe there is other life out there. I don't know if it looks like us, but um, I do believe there's other life out there. You know, we would always joke that, you know, they're looking at us. They're just too small for us to see them kind of thing. Yeah. And um, but I, I like, I think in the end, even more the kind of the surprise of the unexpected stuff I did see, like that shooting star or you know, the way the planet looks or, you know, looking off into deep space and, you know, getting it really dark in the station. So you could see just the layers of clouds and color and stuff yeah. out there that um, I think that ended up, you know, being more intriguing to me than like continuously trying to think, Oh, am I going to see, you know, an, an alien out there or something. Yeah. Um, now, if that had happened, I would have to say that probably would out, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it outrank anything I saw at the window, but, um, but it didn't. So, um, well, do, I mean, cause it's, it's curious. Cause I mean, it's like, there's been like this, this has been like this ongoing conversation of, you know, of this phenomenon, right. Of different people seeing things or sightings or like whatever it may be. And I've just been fascinated by my, myself because growing up in Montana, I would sleep on the trampoline every single night, like in the summertime and be staring <laughs> at the stars. Like just, you know, I, I first endless. Thought, endless star i mean the stars there are just just they're mind expanding you just like yeah. you look if you look for 40 minutes let's say eventually you start to see stars that you don't really generally see so stars start to kind of come like basically you start to see yeah. more your eyes start adjusting um when i first got yep. you know interested in you know ufos if you will or aliens like just curious about it when i lived in montana the first time i watched fire in the sky this yeah. guy um what's his name travis Walter, or I can't remember his name, but anyway, um, you know, he had this whole experience apparently that he like he gives us like whole report. He was missing for a couple of days. He was, you know, this whole experience that he had, let's say. And I just remember being like terrified of this. And then, yeah. you know, just like, wow, that, that, that that's the situation. I don't really think I'm interested in aliens, but um, I remember just seeing stuff like living in Montana, just like, you know, like these, these lights that would just, you know, you see shooting stars, you see satellites, and we end up seeing like this one really cool um, two like balls of orange, like almost like the emoji of these like orange balls of fire coming over the mountain. And they went over the top of the mountain, like just side by side, perfectly side by side. And they just like, they, they left like these almost like contrails in the sky, like these, like these, these trails. And, and so I went running inside to get my dad. I was like, I finally have evidence. You got to come out. There's smoke <laughs> in the sky still. You got to come see this thing. So he comes out and he's like, Oh yeah, that's kind of bizarre. But you know, always kind of denounced whatever I had to say. 
But I would see these lights that were just like, you know, they'd be going, but then they would just, they would like, be going at one constant speed, but then they would just 90 degree turn, 90 degree turn, 90 degree turn. I mean, just very bizarre turns and then just, just be gone. And so I just my whole life, I've been like, you know, talking to people about like, you know, like not so much anymore because as you get older, people just think you're crazier the more you talk about things. Um, but then just being like in three different parts of, of, of the United States, for example, like we were in Haver, Montana, which is nothing. There's a grain silo, which is the biggest structure there. And talking to this old timer that's, you know, in a wheelchair and he talks about the thing that they saw in the field and they had a cow that was mutilated. Then they, they went over to the cow and its tongue was cut out. And so all these crazy things, right? I know I'm going down a deep rabbit hole here. <laughs> Bear with me. But I go to three different parts of the country just on completely random. And I, I meet three different people that tell me the exact same thing. One guy in Texas and the other guy up in Syracuse, New York. And I didn't, I didn't provoke the conversation and say, Oh, so you guys ever see anything around here? You have a cow farm that, you know, it, no, they out of nowhere told me these things, which is, I always thought was so weird. It happened to me in like my early twenties when I was traveling a lot. And, um, once I met you, I was just like, God, I gotta talk to you about some stuff. I know you probably couldn't tell me anything anyway, but like, you know, it's just, what do you think? And it's not because I do, I have something to tell you and can't tell I you. It's, I, I, I mean, I really just have nothing to tell you. It's just <laughs> I feel like, bad. It's not, and, and it's not like to downplay anything you saw or experienced yeah. or heard from anyone. I just had not had that experience myself. I've never been um, really presented with anything that would make me, um, you know, make me think that kind of thing. I mean, I, like I said, I saw things that were surprising to me, but there was always an explanation for them. There wasn't, there wasn't like what you saw, saw or heard about yeah. and, and are like wondering what the heck could have that been. Well, I just thought um, that was so weird yeah. that they would just, I don't know. I mean, because yeah. I was like sitting on a rocking, yeah. you know, sitting in a rocking chair telling me this story. And I'm like, why would you tell me this crazy story? So I was, for a while, I just like, had this crazy story. One the guy, guy from Montana called him and said you were coming. He's like, tell him the story about the cow and yeah, the things in the sky. They don't even know. <laughs> I, that's I think of all these things. Like, maybe he's got racing pigeons and he sent the message, you know. It's just, there's, yeah. there's no variable there. But, you know, it's like the, the, the Pentagon says they're releasing these files, apparently, of, like, you know, yeah. like sightings of things. And they said, this, the, you know, there's these people like Jeremy Corbel who, like, follow these stories and they want to release this info. And, you know, I, I, remember, I remember being in... in Las Vegas and we used to go do like a lot of desert riding just outside of Vegas in this little place called Apex. And you'd see the the white plane that leaves uh, Las Vegas airport daily, I believe. It has no windows on it and they go out to wherever they go to. They go out mm -hmm. and they have a group of scientists that basically fly in every single day to an undisclosed location. And just always having this fascination for looking up and being like, there's something going on, you know? Like, yeah, where are they going? Like, how can I focus on just getting a job or doing this? Like, when this is all going on around us. So, yeah. I mean, I, I'm glad to hear that you believe that there's life elsewhere of some yeah. capacity, whether that means vegetation or water or whatever. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Hopefully, we are respectful of it. That would be my final comment there. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to leave you. I have to leave you, okay. or my one o'clock will be upset with me. And well, uh, I really appreciate this time. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Um, let's do nice this again. If you, can, if you get an opportunity, you again, I'll continue to follow along. Yeah. Likewise. Um, if you, when yeah, you where are you, where are you, by the way? I'm in Saigon. Oh, you're in the Hamptons. Yeah. You're in Hampton area. Okay. When does your book come out? What's your Instagram? 
Um, book comes out October 12th, but you can pre-order it now. And uh, Instagram is astro underscore Nicole. Awesome. Yep. Well, epic. Thank you very much, okay. Nicole. I'll talk yeah. to you soon. Great to see you. You too. Bye. Bye.